Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is from the third uh, chapter of Matthew that um, Audrey was telling the children about. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus replied, It is, let us do so for now, for it is proper to fulfill all righteousness. So John consented. And after Jesus was baptized, he came out of the water. And at that moment, the heavens opened. And he saw the Holy Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven spoke, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased, my Son whom I love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Some of you may remember one of my favorite lines. It is from uh, the comedian Lily Tomlin who asked this question. Why is it that when we talk to God, it is called prayer, but when God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia? There seems to be a bias in our world against the leading and the direction and actually the presence of God in God's people and in God's church. But I want to tell you that you sit in this church today because it is a testimony to a group of people who years ago determined not only to listen to God's voice, but to do what that voice told them to do. And as many of you know, our church used to be located about a mile and a half away on Broadway, and uh, the church tried many ways to um, expand its ministry there, especially uh, in view of the need uh, to have space and opportunity to train our children. And uh, each time efforts at expansion, even though money had been raised, um, uh, were not able to come about. And so finally, uh, nearly a decade later, they heard the voice of God when amazingly this 13 acres or so uh, became available for an amazing sum of money, which the church just happened to have from its fundraising efforts years earlier. And the church understood and heard this as a call and decided to follow. And so we ended up here. And then it was about a decade later, and we wondered as a church uh, what our next move might be. What should we do on this campus? And we formed what we called a strategic planning team. And we read books by consultants. And we talked and discussed and debated and came up with nothing. So we disbanded as a strategic planning team. And we were reborn as, by, uh, as to what we called a strategic listening team. No longer would we try to read and study and then tell God what we should do. But we made a commitment to spend some time and try to listen to what God might be telling us to do. And it wasn't surprising that within a few short months, on the same weekend, three different people of our listening team, located in three different states that weekend in the United States, heard the same message. God was calling us not to do things on this campus, but rather was calling us as our next move to start a new campus. And then not too many months later, one of our pastors, Scott Hares, driving out uh, 281 and, and got a sense of God calling him into a, a particular uh, a, uh, 
house that, and ranch house and, and barn that had been used for a number of things and guided into there and one thing led to another. That became the site for the offices and the coffee shop called The Loft for our North Campus. And we listened and walked into that. And then it was just a few months later and our worship director, music director, Ruth Ann Lynn, uh, was talking with me in the office and she said, I- I'm getting a sense from God that we need to talk about hospitality in the church this spring. I'm wondering if you think we could do a series on hospitality after Easter. And, and my eyes lit up and I said to Ruth Ann, that's the same thing I've been hearing from God. That it, for whatever reason, it's time to talk about hospitality in our church. So we spent the month of May that year after Easter talking about hospitality. And within three months, Hurricane Katrina came and the doors of our church And the doors of many of the homes of the people in our church were open to all sorts of visitors from New Orleans who had relocated temporarily and some permanently in our area. I stand before you and invite you to look around, not just at the building, but at the people. This is a testimony. They are a testimony to the willingness of this church to listen to God's guiding by the Holy Spirit and to follow that guiding as best as they're able. Now, why do I tell you this? Well, I tell you this because um, this winter and spring, we're talking um, in general terms about what is the mission of this church. And we've said the mission of this church is what Jesus said the mission would be, which was to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. What does that mean exactly? Well, part of what it means is that we are to partner with God to fix anything that's broken in this world. The biblical record is clear that the world is not operating as God intended and where there's poverty, where there's loneliness, where there is sickness, where there are relationships that struggle, where people lack education or water or food, that is brokenness. And God is calling us to fix a broken world. And then we talked about the next week how Jesus had planned to attack that mission and he had planned to attack it by developing disciples, the kind of people who are capable of going out into the world and beginning to fix some of the brokenness. And then, of course, that raised the question, well, what does a disciple look like? What are the things that characterize a disciple? And we started last week by saying one of the things that characterizes the disciple is that their lives are lived in worship to God, not just on the weekend at a service, but their whole lives are seen as a sacrifice and an offering to God. And then this week, I want to add to that that I believe disciples and churches are characterized by willingness to respond to the Spirit of God and to be empowered and guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that churches typically in North America don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so let me give you just a short case for why we should. The first is clearly uh, talking about the Holy Spirit is biblical. The Holy Spirit is present at creation. The Holy Spirit is present in the building of the first facility in which to worship God, the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit empowers the prophets like Isaiah, empowers a king like, like uh, David, and even before that, Saul is said to have the Holy Spirit come upon him, and Solomon who gets this amazing gift of wisdom. Judges like Gideon and Samson are guided and strengthened by the Holy Spirit. All the way through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is present and acting to help people carry out what God wants done in the world. But it didn't stop there. Uh, There's all sorts of literature that talks about the uh, very devout uh, rabbis and other charismatic uh, Jewish leaders between the Old and New Testament who perform miracles and healings and deliver uh, word 
words and directions from God. And then, of course, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit continues um, moving uh, us forward as the people of God. Holy Spirit come upon, comes upon Jesus at his baptism, as we've talked about, and it's after that that Jesus begins uh, his ministry as an adult. And uh, the Holy Spirit then is promised by Jesus, first uh, in the Gospel of John in chapter 17, and in Luke, the 24th chapter, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit will come upon them, enabling the disciples to do what God is calling them to do. And of course, in the book of Acts, it's simply a record of how the church expanded, guided, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it's clearly biblical to talk about the Holy Spirit. But secondly, I don't know how aware you are, but I want to help you become aware. The Holy Spirit is moving today across the world in some pretty impressive and big-time ways. Uh, the fastest-growing segment of Christianity in the whole planet is a segment known as Pentecostalism. And you may know that Pentecostals typically tend to be very responsive and open to the power of of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and Pentecostalism is the largest wave now uh, in, in Christianity covering God's earth. Uh, Philip Jenkins is a professor up the road at Baylor. Before that, he was at Penn State, and about a decade ago, Jenkins um, did a statistical analysis and released it as a book called The Next Christendom, and he argued persuasively that um, whereas in, in prior days, the center of Christianity was in Western Europe, he noted the center of Christianity had in the last few centuries moved to North America. And then he argued that in more recent days, clearly the center of Christianity was moving in the global south, Africa, and South America. And, and this is beyond dispute. The statistics are clear. And then he spends some time describing what the church looks like in these exploding parts of Christianity in South America and Africa. And one of the very first things that characterizes them is this openness and responsiveness to the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not unusual uh, to have stories recounted of the Holy Spirit um, uh, leading and, and healing people and guiding and directing people. Uh, it, it's clear in the global south that they're very responsive to a spirit that is leading and empowering them. Interestingly, uh, others have written about this as well. Interesting, at least to me. A woman named Phyllis Tickle, who's almost 80 years old, uh, she was the founder of the religious book section of Publishers Weekly. So believe me, she reads this stuff and knows this stuff. It's a, if it's in print, it's come across her desk. And she was talking about the movement of Christianity in the world, and she's written a new book, just came out this year, and calls the book The Age of the Spirit. And the title comes from a prophecy from back in the 12th century when a man named Joachim in Italy uh, said this. He said that in the Old Testament, it was the age of the Father. He said the New Testament is the age of the Son. And then Joachim prophesied that in the future, there would come a day when it would be the age of the Spirit. Now, whether things divide that cleanly or not is, is, is not helpful maybe for us to debate right now, but I think what he saw is what Tickle is seeing as she watches the movement of Christianity and its responsiveness to the presence and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And she said, if I'm to tell you what's going on in the 21st century, I would describe it as the age of the Spirit. Interestingly, she does a little history lesson uh, about how Pentecostalism really got off the ground in uh, America. And it got off the ground in America and spread to the world because there was this group 
of people. Well, actually, it was a movement in the 18th century in England. They were called Methodists. And their leader was a guy named John Wesley. And John Wesley earnestly desired the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. He earnestly desired that for his people. He said, I want, he said, the Spirit's in you, but you need to pray, he said, for a second blessing. For the Holy Spirit to come even more fully alive within you. And he wanted it desperately for himself. He wanted it for his people. His people came to um, North America. Within about a century, uh, they had given rise to a revival uh, fueled by the Holy Spirit in Topeka, Kansas. And then in Los Angeles, in a place called Azusa Street, which was an abandoned, uh, well, been abandoned, used as several different things. And she points that that's the roots, historically, of the stuff that is happening all over the world today. And it goes back to the Methodists. Holy Spirit's biblical. The Holy Spirit is real and alive today, and it's part of our DNA. The other thing I simply want to tell you is, is that I don't believe we can do what God wants done on our own strength and power. If we're going to do God's will, we need to do it God's way, but we're also going to do it in God's strength. And the Holy Spirit within us gives us gifts and power and guidance to do the very things that God is calling us to do. Uh, Audrey compared it um, to a flashlight without a battery to the children. I think that's a really apt analogy. Another one that I thought of is, um, I got a new car about a month ago, and I like my car. It's, it's a fine little car. It's got a nice engine, but it's a weird thing in that car. If I don't turn it on, it doesn't go anywhere. You know, and, and to get it to move, I'd have to push it. And that's sort of counterproductive. But when I turn it on, and the gas flows, and things come alive, and it moves. Without the Holy Spirit within us, moving and flowing, we cannot go and do what we're designed to do. Another thing I really like about this car is it's, it's um, got a little you know, GPS system in it. It's really helpful to me. So last week, I was in Dallas, downtown, and I was lost, trying to go to a meeting. So, duh, turn on the GPS. The GPS is of little or no value in my car if it's not activated. It's just not. And so in the same way, guidance is available to us and power is available to us through the Holy Spirit, but not unless we open ourselves and avail ourselves of that power and that guidance. Well, if all of what I'm saying to you is true, that certainly raises the question, well, why isn't it happening very much? Why don't we hear more and more about churches and individual Christians yielding themselves and opening themselves to the guidance and power available through the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know exactly, but here's a few of my guesses. One is just fear. You know, one, uh, we're just really not sure much about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit, um, uh, he hasn't been talked about um, a, a bit in, uh, the, in comparison uh, with the other two persons of the Trinity. And so we kind of uh, wonder and we're a little afraid that if we yield the Holy Spirit, we might get sent by the Spirit to some foreign country where we don't know the language and be stuck there for life. Well, the Holy Spirit's the Spirit of Jesus, so that's not exactly going to happen if that has not been wired into our hearts. The, the Spirit of Jesus is not going to, to move us in a way that is just completely antithetical to the way that God has put us uh, together. Or there's a fear that, well, I, I heard these people uh, that said that the Holy Spirit told them they could uh, raise the dead people, and so they were trying to do it, and these dead people weren't raised, so therefore this, this can't happen. Or they said God would do something, and it didn't happen. Well, we can all cite instances 
of people claiming but that the Holy Spirit had told them to do something and, and, it, and it didn't uh, go the way that we thought it would go if the Holy Spirit were behind it. But the fact of the matter is we can all point in this church, especially, to times and miracles that only happen because of the Holy Spirit. And I'm simply not willing to throw that baby out with the bathwater because some people might abuse or misinterpret or just misapply what God has asked them to do through the Spirit doesn't, to me, invite us then to shut off that fountain. Um, I think another thing is that the life in the Spirit works against our need for control. I think most of us want to know where we are, and we want to know where we're going to be, and we want to know how we're going to get there. And we know by definition when Jesus tells Nicodemus, hey, the Spirit blows where it will, that by definition we probably are not going to be able to control the Spirit of God. That we're going to have to respond to that Spirit, and, and I think that's hard for us. Phyllis Tickle makes this observation that for many, many centuries, the majority of the world's Christians lived under the authority, in a sense, in the control of a flesh and blood man called the Pope. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not a part of God's plan and that good things didn't happen for that. But it, basically, in our DNA for many years, we were just under control. And then she makes the observation that what happened in the Protestant Reformation if you look at it closely, is that people traded a flesh and blood pope for a paper pope. And they would only do what they thought the Bible was telling them to do, and they couldn't get outside that bounds, and they couldn't listen for God's direction that might be uh, not opposed to the Bible, but just not within it. And people still wanted that strict and stiff control. And as a result, people missed this wind blowing where it will. And I think sometimes my need for control makes me hesitant to yield to God. I'm afraid I might end up in India somewhere, but that's not generally the case. And I think so our fear, our need of control, or maybe sometimes we just think, why would God use me? Well, my answer to that would be, why not you? Friends, the world is broken. There are lots of people hungry. There are lots of people who are lonely. There are lots of people that do not know about Jesus. Believe me, it is going to take all of us to fix this thing with God. Why wouldn't each of us be needed? So I assure you, you are needed through the Holy Spirit to do a particular job that God has for you. And the truth is that the Holy Spirit's already in you. The pilot light is already there. I think what Wesley was asking and inviting us to would be what Paul told Timothy, which is ask God to stir up that flame, to flame on more and to be even more yielded to the Spirit and the presence of God. And, uh, And I know that there would be a fear of where, what might happen, but the fact of the matter is this is God's plan for fixing a broken world. And we can see it from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation, people responding and being moved by the Spirit. But I know you can object. Well, I've heard so-and-so, and how do I know? They think God told them to do it, but I don't think God told them to do it. How do I know? Not an exact science. Let me just say, here's the coaching of the church over the centuries. If you think you have a word or direction from God, it is always best to check it against at least what they called three lights. The first light is this. How does this match up with Scripture? Does this contradict what God has said in God's word? Well, that should be a warning to us. 
how does this match up with the circumstances of what God is already doing in the world and, and the circumstances in which I have experienced God in my life? How does this line up? And thirdly, what do seasoned Christians, some people I value and trust as responsive to God, full of the Holy Spirit, what do they say about this? So if you believe the Holy Spirit has told you to leave your spouse and children and move without them far away to another country, it would be good to sit with some seasoned Christians and so they can say, wait a minute, is that really how God is operating here? And, and when we, we shine God's word under these three lights, we get some clarity. There's no need to fear. We're not going to always get it right. But for the most part, I've found when I try to get it right, God has been pretty abundantly clear about what to do. More than a decade ago, we had a speaker here in the sanctuary, and he described three groups of people when it comes to the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Scripture. The first group of people would say, that stuff, Samson, Gideon, uh, Jesus turning water into wine, that, that stuff never really happened. That stuff didn't happen. And he said, there's another group of people that say, that happened. I believe that this happened to Paul. I believe Jesus did this. I, I think David did that. But that was for them. And it can't and doesn't happen today. And there's a third group of people that say, what happened in the Bible under the leadership, guidance, and power and presence of the Holy Spirit can and does happen today. And I'm one of those people. And most of us are sitting in here because we're those kinds of people who believe that God is still speaking and God is still acting and God is still empowering. Well, if you wanted to have that pilot light that's already within you and the Holy Spirit flame up, uh, if you were looking toward that second blessing John Wesley talked about, how would you go about this? Let me give you three suggestions that might be helpful. First is this. This is not going to happen without a heavy dose of humility. C.S. Lewis observed years ago that it's hard to receive when our hands are full. If you believe you have everything you need in the world to do exactly what God's called you to do, you're not going to ask for anything more. If you believe you are just perfectly good to go as, as you are, you are as full of anything you need. God is tremendously humble, I believe, is not going to force God's spirit upon you. So it's going to be a dose of humility that says, you know, I, I, I need some help here. I'm not going to be able to do everything you ask me to do. I'm not going to be able to make a difference in this world just on my own power and my own uh, wits. Uh, some of you I know have heard me tell about one of my favorite uh, characters, and I don't mean that he's made up. He's for real. His name is Brother Yoon, and, and he was uh, 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 in, in communist China officially and often repressed as a Christian, found himself um, uh, imprisoned a number of times, uh, for leading not only his house church, but a number of house churches. But amazing miracles seem to follow Brother Yoon around, including one of the last ones that happened in China is the escape through prison like Peter in the book of Acts just walked out the door, was able to find his way to Germany uh, where he found safety and uh, has written um, a couple of books and, and come and lectured in North America. Well, as you may remember, on his first lecture tour of North America, he went to Canada, and then he's here in the States. And he said one of the things he said that happened at most every church in the States is they'd raise their hand and they'd say, Brother Yoon, these are amazing miracles. Why don't we see anything like that in our church? And if you'll remember his response, word for word was this, because you have air conditioning. 
Because we think we have it all and all the power already in our hands. Humility's not there. So I think it starts with just, do we need God? Do we believe that we need God, God's help to do what God wants us to do? Second thing is just simply being willing that if God says something, we're going to try to do it. Just simple as that. Why would God want to tell us anything if we just to watch us not do it? So and I, sometimes I hear wrong. Sometimes I think God's telling me to do something and I'm wrong and I miss it. But I think God says, well, you were trying. Yeah, I think God, I hope, senses in me a, w- a willingness to, to try to do what I think that I'm hearing. So do we have that willingness to obey? Third thing is this. It's simply, uh, in the words of Jack Deere, availability. Will we come to a time and a place where we'll just say, God, your Holy Spirit's within me. Stir up that flame. Fill me up. Or as Matt prayed this, and asked this morning from the head to the toe. Fill me up. There's a number of ways to do that. You can do that when you get home. You can do that uh, uh, when you're getting ready to uh, walk into work. You can come at the close of the service with the pastors and the prayer ministers, and and we'll pray that. Uh, Make yourself available um, for God. It was about 50 years ago, J.B. Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And in it, this is what he said about the book of Acts, which is just an amazing record of the Holy Spirit guiding and empowering the church all along the way. He said... The book of Acts is a picture of what the church looked like before it became out of shape and out of breath. And now what we have in the church, he said, in the 20th century, are Christians and churches that can't get off their theological or biblical couches and go anywhere and do anything. Because the breath of God is simply not within them. And then he said this, if you were to ask me to describe the church in the book of Acts in a phrase, this is what I would say about them. They were, quote, open on the Godward side, close quote. They were people who knew that God was available through the Spirit to empower and to direct and to guide. And they were willing to be open to that and to respond to that. A disciple is one who offers his or her life as a living sacrifice of worship, not just in here, but in the world. And a disciple is one who understands that right now the Spirit of God is blowing in this world. And so they make their minds up to raise their sails.